Blog Talk Radio. Clinging waves, fox beard, lockers acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very hard. Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Spock is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Peter's cat, Kim Peck's hat, you have said enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are God, you know, I love that song, Eric. I really, really do. The more I hear it, the more I like it. (laughs) Hey, guys, it's Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and that means it's time for another episode of Trek Talking. And with me, as usual, are my Trek experts. We'll start off with Charles. He's out in Las Vegas. How you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. I think the wind's finally died down a little bit, and I'm enjoying the patio and the sun. The sun right now. Okay, that's enough of that. That's enough of that. We're gonna move on to Eric. Eric is out in Portland. How you doing tonight, Eric? Well, it's not quite as beautiful here, but we are mid-60s and pretty decent, and there are kids out on the basketball court playing basketball in their little masks and stuff. It's amazing. So uh, active neighborhood here in Portland, and, uh, man, I'm excited to talk about these shows tonight. This is going to be a good time. Why is it that you guys have to rub it in? For God's sake, Well, it's have because a we love you. It's because we love I'm you, Jim. We just want to, like, you know. <laughs> It's, Tell us, it's Jim. Cold. Tell us how bad it's it is. Snowing. Poor Leslie's <laughs> expecting up to a foot of snow. I open my camp next week. Uh, on, oh man, I just Mother Nature has just gone haywire. But you know what? That's not going to stop us. We have a great show planned for you guys tonight. This is our Deep Space Nine show. As you may have noticed, we've been talking about the pilots and the, and the finales of each of our favorite Star Trek series, and we're up to Deep Space Nine. Uh, Of course, that means we're going to be talking about Emissary and what you leave behind. But we have a lot of great news to talk about before we get to that. Um, You know, there's a possible TNG actor that might be on Jeopardy. I wonder who it could be. And uh, why didn't the Enterprise have a proper theme song like all the other Star Trek series did? Could there be a new Star Trek movie in the works? I don't know. You'll have to hang out with us to find out the answers to those awesome, awesome questions. Hey, but before we dive right in, I have some very important news, some big news, something that just dropped this afternoon. Our very own GM Chris, who hasn't been able to join us in quite a while because of this little thing called COVID. He's our Canadian connection. Anyways, GM Chris just got engaged this afternoon, so congratulations to GM Chris. That's good, good news. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, way to go, buddy. So, congratulations to Chris. And hopefully this COVID thing can be behind us 
and Chris can get back to talking about Star Trek with us like we always used to do. He's got the lobes. We just got to get him here. So congratulations to Chris. Um, well, oh, yeah. So I, I now have access to not only the countries that people listen to us from, but also the individual cities that have the, the highest percentage of our listeners from them. So we're, we're going to add a little top five cities countdown into our around-the-globe countdown as well. So I think that's going to be interesting uh, for you guys to find out where your fellow fans are hanging out besides just, you know, individual um, countries, but city-wise as well. So uh, let's dive right in and go around the globe with our, our weekly numbers. Uh, for that, we turn to Eric. Well, as always, we have about uh, three-quarters of our listeners, of course, that come from domestic sources here in the United States where we uh, broadcast from. But in our number one slot, you know what? Holding steady on international listeners, not only that, but week after week, it seems, setting new records. That's right. We still have the U.K. in our number one spot, and they are now up to 5.59, just about 5.6% of our listeners now coming from the UK, that is the most thing. That's the biggest single number that we have ever had from any international listener. So, wow! Thank you so much, folks from the UK. Um, your support just keeps growing and growing and growing. I don't know. I don't know who's doing it. Well, Charles may give us a little clue later on as to at least where some of these people live. But thank you so much uh, for listening. It really means a lot to us. 5.59% of our listeners from the UK. In our number two spot for international listeners, we have Hangin' Steady, Australia, and they went up just a skosh too. 3.96% of our listeners, so almost almost 4% there for Australia. Thank you, folks down under. Uh, we're also saying thank you and hello to our Canadian brothers and sisters with 3.1% of our listeners. It's great to see you in that top five. Uh, we missed you while you were gone, but you've been here for a while now, and it's great to see you here. In the number four spot, dropping just a little tiny bit, but still in that top five, uh, our Scandinavian brothers and sisters from Norway with 2.36% of our listeners. And finally, rounding out the top five right in the middle of Europe there, we have Germany, 1.29% of our listeners. So thank you uh, to all of these countries internationally that support us. Charles, who are the biggest cities that support us? Well, in our number five spot, our Hollywood listeners is Los Angeles, California. Number four, uh, one of our big cities is Melbourne, Australia. And this is surprising. Number three is Sydney, Australia. No wonder we got so many Australian listeners. Number two is London, Okay. So we got a lot of Londoners listening to us. In the finale is New York, New York. A lot of people say New York City. Man, they're <laughs> calling from New York City. Let's see a lot of Jimmy's friends hanging on the line listening to him. Can't wait for next year he's uh... going to say it. The mm-hmm. Big Apple. You know what? You know what I find funny about this list is that. New York and Los Angeles are on opposite ends of the United States, and they're our top, our, in our top five. That's, I find that an interesting 
uh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you guys think that's interesting? Definitely. Yeah, it is pretty, oh, definitely. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So uh, you know, they're definitely the two most populous cities in the U.S., so num- sheer numbers might have something to do with it. But it does mean that we have a lot of support on both coasts, which is, which is great because, you know, we all know as you go across the country, there's cultural differences, but we have people who contact us from Kansas and uh, Omaha and you know Montana and Florida and just all over the place. So, but it is kind of cool that there's there are anchors uh, on either end of the country, you know, countrywide, right? Yeah, all the countrywide. Yeah, <laughs> right across all of the uh, the time the time zone changes there, which is pretty cool. So I. I thought that was something nice to throw in for our listeners there. Um, I, I, I don't anticipate the numbers in those cities changing. Uh, I mean, I suppose they could, but um, they'll probably stay that way for a long time. But but we'll report them every week and see what happens. So thanks for listening to everybody who's in all of those great cities, all those great countries. Um, we really, really, really appreciate it. But you know what? Shouting out the cities. Shouting out the countries is all fine and dandy and great, but we like to say hello to our individual fans by name. And you can be one of those fans by heading over to our Facebook page at Trek Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out. I'm working on trying to get that changed and shortened up a little bit, but right now, that's what it is, Trek Talking and Beyond. And you'll see the Live Long and Prosper box symbol at the top. Just pop in there and tell us where you're listening from. If you see a heart next to your name from Trek Talking, that would be me. That means I picked your name, and you're going to be individually shouted out on a future show. So without any further ado, Eric, who are we shouting out to first? Well, our very number one shout-out comes from our number five international listener country, Berlin, Germany. We'd like to say hello and thank you very much to Gunter Schutz for listening to us and for supporting us on our Facebook page. Uh, We love having folks there in Germany listen to us, and we consider you one of our anchor points. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, We're also saying hello and thank you very much to Michelle Rufasi from, uh, or that's probably Rufo, maybe. I don't know. My French is terrible. My, uh, yeah, Um, my, basically that whole accent is hard for me, but they're from Belgium. And they say live long and prosper to us. So thank you so much, Michelle, for listening to us. We're also saying hello and thank you very much to Nora Bukavari from Budapest in Hungary. Uh, we have had a, just a couple listeners in the past from Hungary contact us. And Nora, it's great to see you joining them. So thank you so much. Uh, Mary Winter from Bristol, England. You are listening to us and contacting us on our Facebook page. And we say thank you very much. Uh, we love having you along for the ride. And the final person in my list here is Roger Ledgergerber from Switzerland. That's right, from Switzerland. They also send a nice live long and prosper to us. Roger, or excuse me, Roger, that's who I just said hello to. Charles, who are you saying hello to? Well, let's start off with a top fan from Costa Rica, Central America. That is Pat Mendez. Welcome, Pat. Neil Robertson is hailing from Canada. And from Clint, Texas, we have Ralph Allen Kern. And Jesse Poison hails from Orlando. And Zirka Arkanine from Indiana, USA. 
open to the wide range of people. I bet Jim's might have got some wide ranges himself. Yeah, I've got some good range here. I would like to say uh, hello and kla to Michael James from Milton, New York. I wonder if that's downstate New York towards New York City or if it's upstate New York towards Buffalo or anywhere in between. I don't know where Milton is particularly, but it doesn't matter. Thank you so much for listening to us, uh, Michael. We'd also like to say hello and thank you to Sean J. Klein from Hollywood, Florida. First, I thought it was Hollywood, California, but it's Hollywood, Florida. Thank you so much for listening. We'd also like to say thank you and live long and prosper to Arthur Group, who's listening to us in Israel. Thank you so, so much for uh, listening to us. Uh, we'd like to say kapla to Kent Backman from Ostersund, Sweden. Thank you for listening to us. We really appreciate it. And last but not least, we'd like to say Thank you to Jan Steele from Dundee, Scotland, which is where where my uh, ancestors come from. That's uh, where my grandmother hails from. So thank you so much, Jan, for listening to us. Thank you to everybody for listening to us because we couldn't do the show without you guys. I forgot to mention at the top of the show, I was so excited about GM Chris's engagement that our phone lines are open as they always are for every show. And that's what sets this podcast apart from other podcasts. It's completely live. If my dog laying next to me starts barking or AJ decides to go after my headset, guess what? You guys are going to live it live. Um, Because this is not just a podcast. It's blog, talk, radio. And we are live right now, which means you can call 646-668-2433 and be part of the show. We would love to hear your voice. We'd love to say hello. So give us a call, 646-668-2433, and share your thoughts on Star Trek Deep Space Nine or whatever's on your mind. We'd love to hear from you. So without any further ado, it's time for our Star Trek birthday. was not a Klingon song. And for that, we turn to um, Eric uh, to start off with all the people who are part of our Star Trek family but are no longer with us. Eric, and, and Eric's list is very, very short uh, this week, uh, fortunately. So who do we have on our list of remembrances, Eric? Well, yeah, we only have three folks on our list this week of uh, people who have passed before us from our Star Trek uh, community. So the first uh, person that we're going to remember and say happy birthday and send our love and remembrances out to is Peter Mark Richman. He played the character of Ralph Offenhaus in the TNG episode uh, The Neutral Zone, uh, which was, of course, another Romulan episode. Uh, Pretty good one. Uh, I really appreciated it. And uh, he did a great job in that role. So happy birthday, and our remembrances go out to Peter Mark Richmond for that character. We're also saying happy birthday and sending our remembrances out to a character that many of us would recognize right off the bat if we saw a picture of him, Michael Forrest, who played the character of Apollo in the TOS episode, Who Mourns for Adonis? Uh, and, of course, you'll, you know, remember him as the, uh, as the uh, you know, bronze-skinned <laughs> toga-clad, uh, golden-leafed 
uh, God of War there, uh, who may or may not have been an alien. No spoilers here. No spoilers here. If you haven't seen Who Mourns for Adonis, please go watch that episode. Michael Forrest did a great job with that role. And, my and I just wanted to interject. Is, uh, yeah, go ahead. I want to interject something here that in that episode, there's a classic scene, and uh, uh, um, Scotty in, in the Kelvin Universe movies in, in uh, uh, Star Trek Beyond, Simon Pegg wrote a line where the um, he says, "Oh, they always thought that the, that the um, the ship was grabbed by a giant green hand." Oh the yeah, giant green right. hand is is a reference <laughs> to this episode because the giant green hand is how Apollo captures the Enterprise. So I thought that was pretty cool that Simon Pegg kind of put the giant green hand in Star Trek Beyond. So I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> Sorry about it. It is nice. <laughs> Yeah, it is nice. It sort of uh, legitimizes the giant green hand, which I think some people think of and, and sort of giggle a little bit when they think of TOS. But, you know, there, uh, it's very possible that there could be multiple manifestations of these godlike beings. And so uh, it was nice to, to hear about that <laughs> uh, once you get into Kelvin Universe movies. So, yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Jim. Uh, so our final remembrance this week uh, goes out to Rhodes Reason, who played the character of Flavius Maximus in the TOS episode Bread and Circuses, another um, another classic episode uh, sort of dealing with, uh, you know, r- roughly Greek, it's not really Greek, but warrior type themes. So uh, great job in that role for Rhodes Reason. Uh, so that is it for our remembrances this week, guys. Charles, you make up for it. We have a couple of mighty lists of folks who are still with us who had birthdays this week. Why don't you get us started? I sure will. Let's start off with Clive Self-Rivel, hard to pronounce mm-hmm. that name, to play a big guy of Gilsborn. And the TNT episode, Cupid. And if you try to remember I protest. Episode, I am not a merry man. A, <laughs> That's my favorite line from that. We've got a favorite line from Worf. One of my favorite lines from Worf in that episode. I protest. I am not a merry man. <laughs> Makes me laugh. I, I love it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> but I just had a request. The fact is, in that episode, we just love that line. Next one, we were having fun with this one. It's Yeto Ruggedness. Her name, yeah. Chief Engineer Logan in TMG's Arsenal of Freedom. And I looked it up and took interesting facts. I actually, I might actually call him three of four. He was the third chief engineer in season one and three out of five and overall engineers because we had to wait to season two before Jordy took over that position so we went through lots of chief engineers in season one amazing yeah I mean, it's always been surprising, not to not to digress too much, but it's always been surprising to me that they took that long to settle on a chief engineer in the first season and that they went through that many yeah, people. Yeah. That's why I made the comment on it, because, like, good grief, how many chief engineers did we have that season? Or, it's like, good grief, did we go through engineers? 
Yeah. Robert Hooks played Admiral Harry Morrow in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. The dear. Conan Zia, who played Spock, age 13, also in Star Trek III, the first for Spock. That's a couple of firsts today, this week. And this is an interesting one. Ashley Judd played Ensign Robin Leffler in TMZ's The Game and Dharma. And this is an interesting Mm -hmm. character because she is the first of two actresses to play Ensign Robin Leffler. A second actress played her in other uh, in other episodes, and that was the in the, the second actress is the one that played the love interest of Wesley in one episode. Ah. I actually double cast a a character. Very interesting. Jane Davis. Go ahead. Jane Bailey played Maria in TNG's episode The Most Toys. Leslie Silva played Danica Erickson in Enterprise episode Sailor. Lisa Kittimer, Seminar, played Lilius. In Voyages episode Rise. And then we got our first real interesting we got a musician played actor. Iggy Pop Iggy Pop played Yeldrum in the DS9 episode The Magnificent Ferengi as he played one of the Vorta clones. And then definitely a little bit of controversy, but definitely, I think, well thought of. We got Al, Ian Alexander, who played Great Paul in the third season of Discovery. A character that many of us are looking forward to in season four to see what they do with him. He's definitely an interesting character, including the position he's in. What do you guys think? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm super, yeah. super looking forward to more of Grey Tile. And, uh, you know, we're just talking about how uh, Star Trek has increased its representation, and I love that Grey is part of that whole deal. So, good yeah, job. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what about Jim? I, I think he's got some birthday to talk about. Well, after my long list. I've got a long list, uh, too, but before we moved on, I just want to say that a lot of people seem to be confused with Grey Tal because of the, the symbiont thing. And I just wanted to say before we have to cut to our break that the whole uh, they, um, them thing has nothing to do with the symbiont whatsoever. Um, and a lot of people on our Facebook page seem to be confusing the, the, the use of that, like when she says, to uh, Stamets, I prefer to be called they and not she. And Stamets just says, okay, and accepts it. And a lot of people are thinking it's because of the symbiont, and, you know, that's a violation of canon, so to speak, because Dax or any other symbionts that we've ever seen never never said that, but, but it has nothing to do with the dual personality 
between the human host and the symbiont. That's how how uh, they identify themselves. So I just wanted to clarify that. Um, there was a lot of confusion on our Facebook page, and Charles and I have been trying to clean up that particular post for days now. So that's why I wanted to bring that up. <laughs> I think we got it in good shape, though, now. Would you say, Charles? I think so. I think it looks a little better. I think people are a little realizing some of the expectations of how we ask about people and how people are reacting to some of the new gender acknowledgments that we now use. Yes, it's something new, right. but when you're dealing with a binary, you've got non-binary, we, if that's what they choose, then I think that's what they get. Exactly. I'm not going to be opposed to it. Nope, me neither. And uh, we have to take our first commercial break, guys, but we'll be right back after this awesome message from my buddy, TJ. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Freakopolis Geekery, the premier upstate New York comics and game shop. Centrally located between Saratoga Glens Falls, Ticonderoga, and Rutland, Vermont, the Geekery is a haven for pop culture and science fiction fans. For Star Trek fans, the Geekery features board games like Ascendancy, as well as awesome gaming titles like Star Trek Adventures RPG from Modiphius, Star Trek Away Team Zero Clicks, and of course, Star Trek Attack Wing Ship-to-Ship Tactical Combat for the Tabletop. The Geekery hosts casual play sessions, learn-to-play sessions, and sanctioned organized play tournaments with limited edition prize support. You'll also find comics and trade paperbacks at Freakopolis, including Star Trek titles from IDW. Lots of issues are in stock, and special orders are no problem. Whether you visit in person by shuttlecraft or beam in online to Freakopolis.com, you'll find yourself right at home at the Freakopolis Geekery. And we're back, and we're right in the middle of our Star Trek birthdays, and uh, Eric and Charles just finished up their list, and I'm about to start mine. It's a pretty long one, but I think there's some great stuff here. So we'd like to say happy birthday to Lisa Solisario, who played Ensign Mira Paris in the Voyager episode Endgame. Now, I'm not sure if that's a real character or not. I honestly don't know, because when Janeway resets time, did she exist after that? When Janeway went back and changed it, I don't know. Is she still around, guys? Uh, Well, I mean... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 yes, I think so. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Pretty okay. sure. Because she we, was born. We she need... was born on the it, it, like as they were coming through the. I think I'm not sure that that's actually who they ended up naming their baby, but I'm assuming they did. Yeah, we we I, it's it's an interesting question because we don't meet it her is. until this alter this future. I don't know. Anyways. Happy birthday to Lisa. <laughs> um, we'd also like to say happy birthday to Elnor Donahue, who played Commissioner Nancy Hedford in the TOS episode Metamorphosis. This is the one where Zephram Cochran is trapped on a planet with a giant floating cloud, and it's a different Zephram Cochran. And um, yeah, how he got there and what he was doing there, I, it's never really, we don't really know. But, yeah, that was Zephram Cochran. And happy birthday to Eleanor Donahue. Um, I, now, I have a lot of Ferengi on my list this week, which yeah. is strange. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had so many Ferengi before. But uh, we're going we're gonna to pick our way through it because I got the lobes to do it. 
So we'd like to say happy birthday to Mike Gomez. And you're saying, Uncle, Uncle Jim, who's Mike Gomez? Well, funny you should ask because I'm going to tell you. He played Nibor in the TNG episode Menage Troy of Ferengi. Uh, he played Dr. Regia yep. in the episode Suspicions, nope. another nope, Ferengi. <laughs> no, Mike Gomez he, uh, played Damon Jim. Uh, Mike Gomez played Damon Tar. Remember in the TNG episode, the last outpost there, Mike Gomez here. Mike Gomez where? Oh, that's what, what we're talking doing about. here. Oh, see, Open I'm, you out I'm there. old and senile. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the Ferengi here. My lobes are just getting ahead of themselves here. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. That's, that's the next guy. <laughs> that's the other Ferengi that we're going to talk about. There's a lot of them, as I said. So Mike Gomez played Damon Tarr in the TNG episode Last Enterp- uh, Last Outpost. That's when the Ferengi were like, I don't know, wimpy, weird, wiggly, monkey men. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. They were just weird. I- I'm glad they changed them. He also played uh, <laughs> Damon Mon Lurian in the TNG episode Rascals. That's where um, the, 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 the main crew becomes children. Ensign Rowe, <laughs> Guinan, um Picard and I forgot who the other one was. It Jordy? Um, I don't remember the fourth one. No, it's um, a female. Is it Rolaren? Is that who it is? It might be Rolaren. Yeah, they become little kids. I think it's Rolaren. And have to yeah, save the day. So, so that, there's there's a couple of Ferengi right there. But now we get on to the rest of the Ferengi, and uh, that's uh, Peter Slutsker who played Nibor in the TNG episode Menage of Troy. That's a great one where where they get kidnapped. Uh, Riker, Troy, and uh, and uh, Mrs. Troy. Great episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also played Dr. Regia in Suspicions, another Ferengi. And uh, Berta in the episode Bloodlines, another Ferengi. So we got a lot of Ferengi kicking around our list this week. But don't worry, because now we have somebody from Species 8472. Kate Vernon, who plays Commander <laughs> Valerie Archer, uh, slash Species 8472, in the Voyager episode In the Flesh. Now, Kate Vernon is interesting because she was on Battlestar Galactica, of course. I think most fans would know her for Battlestar Galactica. Um, but I wanted to mention her because way, 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 way back when I first started the podcast with Ken, when Ken was my co-host, way back in 2015, we interviewed Kate Vernon on our show. And I put the post, I put the link on our Facebook page so you guys can go and check it out. She was a lovely woman. She was so much fun to talk to, so energetic and so great. And so in honor of her birthday, I went all the way back to 2015 and put that on our Facebook page. And let me tell you guys, you can definitely give it a listen. Um, I wasn't even Uncle Jim at that time. That's how early in our podcasting that particular show was. And it's just me and Ken, Admiral Ken, and if you listen to that podcast, you can definitely hear how we have refined it, how it's grown, and how it's, it's become what it is today. So that's where we started. So you guys give that a listen. Kate Vernon, she was wonderful. Uh, this is another good one, actually. This guy is not a Ferengi, and he's not a Species 8472, but he, he is an Andorian, <laughs> uh, was an Andorian. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, Noah, Noah Avbark Cat, who played Rin in Discovery, he's also married to 
wise men. So happy birthday to Noah. Um, now, now we get to talk about a Zindi, but most people are going to know this guy from another role, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who played Damron in Enterprise's episode Carpenter Street. That was a time travel episode where they go back to 2004 and the Zindi are trying to poison humanity with some type of plague, and Paul and Archer have to go back and stop them. Well, Jeffrey Dean Morgan plays the main Zindi in that episode, but I think a lot of people might know him as Negan from The Walking Dead. If you're like me and you're a big fan of Supernatural, you might know him as Sam and Dean's father as well. So happy birthday to Jeffrey Dean Morgan. And that, that gives us a tie into Discovery because Michael Burnham came from The Walking Dead. So, in fact, I, I'm not sure. Yes, actually, I think that her character and Negan had a couple of run-ins together. I think they knew each other on The Walking Dead. I'm not positive, but I think they did. Um, the next one, now, now we're going to be talking about Borg. See, I got a really, really eccentric list. Um, a new Intramani who played Ichib in several episodes of Star Trek Voyager, but not on Picard. And we had the pleasure of interviewing him on a recent show as well. And he was a lot of fun to talk to. So happy birthday to Manu. And the last two, I think, are pretty big ones. Well, the last one definitely is. This one, uh, Clint Howard. Now, Clint Howard, uh, yes, yes, he's that. He's related to that Howard. He is Ron Howard's brother, absolutely. But we're, we're kind of pointing him out because he played Balak in the TOS episode, The Corbinite Maneuver. Uh, he was a little kid alien that was bald and drank Trania. You guys remember him? Well, oh, for sure. Yeah, he also played Grady in the DS9 episode, Past Tense, Part 2. And he, okay, here we go. He played another Ferengi. He played Muck in the Enterprise episode Acquisition. And most recently, uh, I couldn't find the name for him, but everybody recognized him right away. Uh, he was on, on Discovery as the creepy Orion in the episode Will You Take My Hand? He's the one that gives mm-hmm. Tilly the, the uh, I don't know, yeah. the vapor in the bar. And she passes out, and he tries to steal the bomb from her. Uh, that was yep. Clint Howard. So happy birthday to Clint Howard. And I wish I had a sound bite for, this, uh, for the last one. I don't, so you guys will have to settle for one of Uncle Jim's boring stories. But uh, this is a huge one. Um, yeah, George Takei, uh, who plays Sulu in the original Star Trek. Um, happy birthday, 84 years old. He is awesome as awesome can be. And here comes an Uncle Jim story. I might have told it before, but I'm going to tell it again because I like it, and I can. So he was into politics, and I lived in New York at the time, and he went to RPI College to give a lecture on politics in America. And I went dressed up as a Klingon. What else do I do? And a couple of friends of mine went in their Starfleet uniforms, and we got there wicked, wicked early. And we sat right in the front row, and uh, they did all the introductions, and all these boring political people were talking about stuff that I don't even pretend to understand and really don't care about. And then George came out. They introduced George, and he came out and started talking about being a mayor of some city in Calgary, stuff I don't get. And then he stopped, and he looked down, and we were sitting right in the front row, 
And he stopped the lecture and he pointed us out and he said, look, before we get too far and I open this up to questions, there's a couple of people here that I think have a question for me that has not political. And he pointed to us and we got to ask him a couple of questions about Star Trek. And at the time he was filming a movie called Blood Oath, which was the sequel to Bridge Over the River Kwai. He played the, the Japanese commandant in that particular movie. And we chatted, you know, for about five minutes or so and then moved on to the political boring stuff. And after the lectures were over, uh, we met him out in the hallway and I had a Star Trek six poster and he signed it for me to Jim. Some of my best friends are Klingons and that poster is still hanging on my wall and my trek room to this day. I treasure it. And uh, yeah, that was my story about meeting George at a non Star Trek event he was awesome he told me he told us that star trek follows him everywhere he goes no matter what he does somebody always mentions star trek to him so he was he was a gentleman he was awesome and happy birthday to george so that wraps up do you guys have a george story that you'd like to share actually my Uh, story isn't interacting with star trek it's interacting with early stages, interacting with him on Facebook. He became a huge celebrity on Facebook. Had a lot of fans. It was just fun, the conversations he do and the couple of books that he put together. So the man that he loved to create. He, he's a great he's guy. Really, I, I can't say yeah. enough good things about him. He loves the fans. He always takes time to sign an autograph, take a picture. He, he does not have a chip on his shoulder at all, and he'll talk to you about Star Trek or anything for that matter. He's just a great guy, and we're lucky to have him, I think. Mm-hmm. So, happy birthday to George. And uh, this is the part of the show where we do our Star Trek news. Now, all the stories that we're about to talk about, um, I've kind of broken them down to just give you guys the highlights. If you want to read the complete articles and, and find out more, head over to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out, and you can read the articles in their entirety. But first, we have our intro. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level nine authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. Black alert. And our first story goes out to Eric. So, uh, Eric, this is a popular, this has become a very popular segment of ours, and it goes to you this week. Well, this week I get to say Shatner says, what? That's right. William Shatner once refused to hold a TV remote while filming, if you can believe that. According to Little House on the Prairie star Melissa Gilbert, William Shatner has quite the reputation on set. Apparently, people find him difficult to work with. Gilbert got the opportunity to act alongside Shatner in the TV movie Family of Strangers. Quote, I had been warned that Shatner could be difficult on set, wrote Gilbert. One person went so far as to call him a nightmare. I loved him instantly. One memory in particular sticks out to Gilbert. Quote, we were doing a scene where he was supposed to be watching television and changed the channel with the remote control, she wrote. During rehearsal, he refused to do it. 
The director pleaded with him to change his mind, but Bill refused. He said he would gladly walk across the room and change the channel. He just wasn't going to use the remote. The director explained that getting up from the sofa would break the scene, but Bill didn't care. He said, I'm not holding the effing remote, Shatner told the director, according to Gilbert. When the director asked why, he said, I don't hold anything that looks like a phaser. Got it? The film came out in 1993 and features Gilbert Shatner, Patty Duke, and Martha Gibson, Family of Strangers, filmed in Vancouver. So there you go. He did not want to be pigeonholed as Captain Kirk and uh, just be the guy who's holding the phaser. So, uh, you know, maybe he was – I like to think that that story sort of tells us that Bill Shatner was looking into the future, and he was going to understand what memes were, and he knew that if he stood there – in a TV movie and held a remote that somebody was going to make a meme someday that would put him uh, holding a phaser instead. So that's the way that I like to giggle at that story a little bit. What what do you think, Jim? (laughs) Yeah, I've seen a lot of funny. In fact, I just posted one on our Facebook page of a picture of Captain Kirk and uh, you guys have to go check it out. And I guarantee you, that when you check yeah. that meme out and you read it, you <laughs> will read it like Captain Kirk. I guarantee it. I hear everyone doing you it right now. It's it. funny. Go check it out. So, um, well, it's, yeah, being, being, I see. Let me put um, some comment in there. You talk about his pauses for reading, yet there were times on stage when he's on a panel where he'd still sound like Captain Kirk. You still mm. get those pauses in there and some of the speaking. I don't. I sometimes That's wonder if that funny. was him for the dramatic, or that was more just his personality. It's just his way. It could mm-hmm. be. It could be. So, uh, well, if you guys I mean, have listened to the podcast yeah, in the past, then uh, you know that I'm I'm like a real stickler for music. If the music isn't right, then and I don't like it, and I'll be the first one to point that out to you. So, I have this little story that I wanted to throw out there for you guys. Star Trek Discovery Season 3 soundtrack is out now. Lakeshore Records released the Star Trek Discovery Season 3 original series soundtrack on Friday, April 16th digitally. The new soundtrack features 40 tracks from the original score by Emmy Award winning composer Jeff Russo, who's awesome. By the way, I can't give him enough praise. A limited edition vinyl edition will be released later later this year. I, I think it's really, well, we'll get to that in a second. Says Russo, the music for the third season of Discovery posed some pretty big challenges for the recording of orchestral music during a pandemic to figuring out the theme for Grudge the Cat and the rest of the new characters. It certainly proved to be the most thrilling and fulfilling season to date. You can pick up the digital edition of Discovery soundtrack at Amazon for $9.49 it's also available on iTunes, Spotify, and more. What I wanted to say is I find it completely interesting that there's only two ways to get this. You can download it digitally or you can buy the vinyl. Vinyl, people, vinyl. <laughs> you heard me right. You can buy the record of the soundtrack. You can get it digitally, but it is not available on CD. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, 
and I think that that's it's kind of a cool thing. I mean, you know, if you're sort of an audiophile, you know that people that the reason that records came back is that if you're if you're a real sucker for this kind of stuff, you know that you can get an analog sound signal off of a record where uh, everything else is digital. So if you're one of those people who has the equipment that can actually pick up that analog signal uh, and send it through, that record is going to sound really, really, really amazing. you got to have good equipment, though. But, yeah, I do think that's really cool. I always thought that records sounded better myself. Yeah, they do. I mean, if you're if, – technically speaking, I mean, if you are a person who can actually hear those differences, and like I said, if you actually have equipment that does that, and what I mean by that is that – like technically speaking, you would need an old tube amp to be able to keep that analog signal pushing all the way through and actually be able to hear the entire sound wave, um, you know, not to get digital, basically chops it all up. And if some people can hear that smooth wave and some people can't, and, you know, it doesn't matter to some, but uh, I'm a little bit of an audiophile and I would always rather listen to a record uh, if I had the choice. A um, little bit of crackle well, here and there, but you, there's a lot more depth to it. But the sound of a record, yeah. it sounds so much deeper. It just it sounds different it than a digital yeah. recording. It just sounds different. Um, yeah, so that's yeah. because so of I'm, that, I'm pretty, that pretty, analog versus digital. Yep. I'm pretty psyched about that. So, um, yeah. So, uh, Charles, you get our next story here. All uh, right. You know, it's a sad story, but it's a good story. I think he, it's worth mentioning. Yeah. Robert Fletcher dies. Costume designer for Star Trek films, Broadway was 98. Fletcher worked on Star Trek films, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Star Trek The Rathacon, The First of Spock, and The Void Home. Earned him three Saturn Award nominations, honoring science fiction, fantasy, and horror movies, including a win in 1987 for the fourth film in the series. He was especially remembered for establishing the look and style of the movie franchise Klingon and Vulcan Turkey. Fletcher's uh, stage work earned three Tony nominations off-Broadway. Fletcher designed sets for costumes for 1963's revival of the, of the musical Best Foot Forward, starring newcomer Lisa... Uh, Lisa Manelli and Chris Television, he was nominated for Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Com Costume Design for a miniseries or special for North and South Book Two, 1986. And in 2005, he was given the Career Achievement Award for Costume Designers Guild. He received the Theater Development Fund, Irene. Lifetime Achievement Award for set design in 2008. Definitely a loss, but what a designer of things he's done. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah, uh, for Eric, sure. I mean, yeah. You've got, you've got our next one, Eric. Well, this is one of my favorite articles that I think I have ever read simply because it ties into a version of the song that I have gotten to do for the podcast. Uh, if you haven't heard it, it's called Face That You'll Call. <laughs> and and article... you know what? Before we, get, before we dive into it, 
let's listen to that song. What do you say? <laughs> yeah, but let's play that for you. This is Faith That You Call by our very own Eric. It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time But your time is finally here You can feel the change in your thoughts right now Nothing's in your way And they're not gonna hold you down no more No, they're not gonna hold you down Cause we've got faith That's your call We wanna hear what you have to say We've got faith To believe In just talking today You've got faith In your fingers All you gotta do is Now, now you can reach Us right now we got faith. We got faith. Great song, Eric. And what relevance does that have to this story? Well, we ha- are perhaps answering the question of why Star Trek Enterprise had that terrible theme song. Among Star Trek Enterprise's more contentious quotes was its opening theme song, a reworked version of Rod Stewart's Faith of the Heart, entitled Where My Heart Will Take Me. It's very much a product of its time, and in the ensuing years, it has become something of a guilty pleasure among the Star Trek faithful. It's the kind of infectious earworm that takes days to get rid of, and it's definitely an anomaly among Star Trek themes. Fans at the time did not take to it well. Enterprise was posited as a prequel to the original series, detailing the early days of humanity's exploration of the stars and the eventual formation of the Federation. The song was intended as a part of that principle, a firm break from what Trek had become, but also a link between the present day and the bright future the franchise promised. The song adopted a soft rock power ballad format, presumably in order to reach as wide an audience demographic as possible, but the supposedly inspiring lyrics fell flat against Enterprise's impressive visual title montage of real-life heroes like Amelia Earhart and Gus Grissom. The choice of song was strange, too. Rather than commissioning their own, the producers simply reskinned the Stewart song with new lyrics, giving it an air of a cheap knockoff. In short, it felt pretty corporate, assembled for reasons that had little to do with Star Trek and presented as a change of pace that went badly off the mark. The song has since attained a kind of scruffy charm among the Trek faithful and an apt companion to Enterprise, which similarly took some time for parts of the Star Trek community to warm to. And uh, I don't know where you guys fall on this uh, particular um, topic. You know, in my opinion, I actually think that the theme song inhibited people's liking of the series in general. I think that, um, as Jim often points out, you know, music is one of the things that really drives the emotion uh, of any television series, frankly, but uh, certainly the Star Trek that we watch, uh, you know, the ups, the downs, uh, the drama, the quiet moments, uh, a lot of that has to do with the music. Uh, And Enterprise does stand out as an anomaly. You know, it's got that pop song at the beginning, and I just don't think that it has the same um, gravitas 
that the other theme songs have. And regardless of which one's your favorite, I mean, they're all good. You know, Deep Space Nine, TNG, TOS. I mean, they're all, Voyager has a great theme song. Uh, Enterprise is weird. Uh, I don't know. Do you guys feel the same on this as I do? Well, well I think that... Enterprise, Enterprise ahead, came at a different time than other series. And I think they set the series off a little differently than everything else. And I think it made it a little different. And I think that's what caught a lot of fans because it was different. It was a prequel to everything, not a uh, not a past and future series. Yeah, I think that um, what they tried to do is, if you guys recall, it was originally just called Enterprise. They didn't even have Star Trek on it, and they tried to to just distance it from Star Trek and just called it Enterprise, and they wanted it to be totally different, so they came up with this song. I think if, if, if this song had been in the pilot episode with all the actual space and the, the real stuff going on behind it, that would have been great. And then after that, they had a real theme song after that, but um, when they changed the name to Star Trek Enterprise, but they didn't do that. I, I didn't know that it was originally a Rod Stewart song. I, ne- I never heard Rod Stewart's version of it. But, um, yeah, it's just weird. It really is weird. It's, it's just so different from anything else. And they were just trying to set themselves apart, and they went too far, I think. They went just yeah, like, I mean, a little I bit think, too far. Yeah, like Charles was saying, I mean, obviously what they were trying to do was they were trying to tie events of the 22nd century to our present time, right? So we... So we realized that Jonathan Archer and his crew was was not that distant, you know, 120 years or whatever it was uh, to there, maybe a little more, but uh, less than 200 years to, to that future. Um, but I don't I don't know that I need a soft rock power ballad to do that uh, because the opening graphics were enough. Imagine a great Jeff Rousseau inspired, you know, opening Star Trek theme but with the same graphics that they use, because the graphics of Enterprise's um, opening credits are really beautiful, and I love how they travel through time. Uh, I think they're the kind of graphics that actually led to the type of sort of sketchy drawn graphics that we have on uh, Discovery as well. I think there's a connection there. So no, no fault in the Absolutely. visuals. Yeah, but no fault in the visuals. I just wish they had had a, a, a song for the ages, you know, you listen to the yeah. TNG theme, and you have no idea when that was made. It could be 80s, 90s, 2000s, who, who knows? You listen to the Enterprise theme, and you're like, oh, that's, uh, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. It just has that jam to it. Yeah, it, it's dated for sure. Yeah. So listen, guys, I'll we have to take back. a quick commercial break. But when we come back, Charles is going to tell us about a TNG star who may be hosting Jeopardy, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. We're more like the cool, scrappy underdogs of the ship. We're actually way down here. Coming soon to Blu-ray and DVD. Ensign, the bridge is yours. Maintain course. From the writer and executive producer of Rick and Morty. Tell me what your bridge crew did. We're lower decks. 
No one ever tells us what's going on. Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1. We get to focus on the unsung heroes of Starfleet. Banana. Huh. Ah, freaking burn me. With two hours of special features. Everybody working on Lower Decks wants to make the best show possible. One episode takes about a year. Are you serious? Including cast interviews. I'm Tony Newsom. Zach Quaid. I'm Jerry O'Connell. If I were to sum up, the first season would be Double Fixer Crumpet! Deleted and extended scenes. It's not a race. Easter egg. We're gonna get Spock helmet in there. It is fun to put in Easter eggs. And so much more. Mariner drives her captain crazy. Live long and prosper. Don't you give me that sarcastic Vulcan salute. So big. This is gonna be awesome. Go bull. I am the not you And bring home. This is something you've never seen before. Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1. Long range sensors have located a very sexy. <gasps> oh, no. Definitely no. no. Own it on DVD, Blu-ray, and Blu-ray Steelbook. And we're back. And Charles, what what story do you have to share with us? Well, I was going to say before we finish with Enterprise, Enterprise up to its point was the only Star Trek series that modified their opening credits for an episode. That's right, they did. Yep. And it was amazing. Yep, for the Mirror Universe episode. Yep. See, exactly. now that's what I'm talking about because that that was not only a graphic update, but the song that they had in the background was like, dun, 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 you know what I mean? It had that kind of like ominous sort of feel to it. That is what I wish, not ominous, but like that sort of gravitas yeah. is what I wish the theme song for Enterprise had. So, Charles, what do you got for had- well, I got a story, and it's got an update to it also. As many of our Star Trek fans know, we have the fan petition to get LeVar Burton to host Jeopardy. Hands up, who thinks LeVar Burton should be the next host of Jeopardy? I should see all hands up. If you raise your hand, then you're very much not alone. Nearly 200,000 people have signed a change.org petition in support of the move. Jeopardy! is a long-running American game show that was hosted by the late Alex Trebek until his death in November of last year. Since then, the show has made use of a list of guest hosts to fill in the spot or a search for a new permanent host. A list of guest hosts Include new scientists, Katie Curry, Big Bang star, Mayan Balak, and Dr. Sanjay Suka, a medical correspondent for 60 Minutes, among others. Fans are pushing for Jeopardy! producers. Sony Pictures Television to consider Love R. Burton for a permanent role. Joshua Sanders started a change.org position about five months ago. In November 2020, he got getting 11,000 signatures in just three days. As of the day, it's got nearly 200,000 signatures in climbing. Burton's qualifications include hosting 21 seasons of Reading Rainbow, playing the Brainiac engineer Julia LaForge in Star Trek Next Generation, and throwing the role of Cooper K., and the ever-important miniseries group. Lavar Burton has inspired and shaped the minds of several generations of trivia-loving nerds. We'd all love to see him to host 
to the next post of Jeopardy. And just recently they announced the next lineup of hosts to Jeopardy. And LeVar Burton is one of them. So LeVar Burton will be hosting Jeopardy. We'll, we'll see how he does. And who knows? He could be on the short list with fans to be in the next permanent host. But I think it's definitely going to so be cool. worth seeing some of those episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, a, a really good friend of mine, Dagny, who is absolutely obsessed with Jeopardy. And when she found out that LeVar Burton uh, was being discussed, she absolutely freaked out because uh, obviously he would be amazing. I mean, 21 seasons of reading rainbows, that's that's a long time. I actually first did get to know LeVar Burton through his role on Roots as Kunta Kinte. Um, I saw that long before I saw Next Generation. And uh, actually that, that whole series... I think taught me a lot of history, a lot of American history about that time period uh, and what was going on uh, with African slaves and stuff. So, man, what a what what a lexicon of stuff he's already done. Yeah. And are you kidding me if he if he adds Jeopardy to it? <laughs> he, I'm sorry, oh. he he might outpace uh, Miles O'Brien as the greatest uh, entity in all of Star Trek. You know, <laughs> could be. Yeah. Yeah. For, for me, for me, the fact is come home from work by school and I'd want a break to put my feet up before the news started. So frequently I'd turn on and say, oh, what's on the TV? Oh, Reading Rainbow is on TBS. I want to sit and watch this for a little while before really getting going on the evening. So I watched him many a times in that series and I know that series is still very, is still very popular in schools introducing books to kids. So that was a big influence on education. So yeah, he, 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 he is awesome. Yeah. He is great. So uh, the final story that we have to talk about tonight isn't really a story. It's just a little blurb. There's not much information floating around on it, but I thought it was worth mentioning to you guys because it's been on again, off again, on again, off again. So, uh, Paramount sets top secret Star Trek movie for the summer of 2023 to be produced by J.J. Abrams. Paramount Pictures released a new release schedule for a number of its upcoming movies, moving several films like Top Gun Maverick, Mission Impossible 7, and 8, and, and buried in all the reshuffling was the untitled Star Trek movie set to be released on June 9th. 2023. The new head of Paramount's movie division has ordered a script from Discovery writer Kalinda Vasquez for a new Star Trek film to be produced by J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot Productions. This latest script is the last of the fourth Trek films that has gone into development in Bad Robot and Paramount since the release of Star Trek Beyond in the summer of 2016. However, today is the first time in the last five years that Paramount has set a release date for the movie. What do you guys think? What do you think about this? Well, I'm I'm excited about it. I mean, uh, what's interesting is I don't know Kalinda Vasquez from, well, I mean, we know her from Discovery, but she also was really big uh, on a television show. Not sure if you guys uh, ever watched it. It was called Once Upon a Time. Uh, she was a producer oh, yeah. on that show from 20, yeah, producer on that show from 2012 to 2015, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it, well, whatever you think about the show, it's, 
it's a pretty cool way to weave together a lot of different myths and stuff. And granted, she wasn't a writer there. She was a producer. But I'm pretty optimistic about this. Now, now Jim, you know, you know what I'm hoping for, right? I'm hoping for closure of the loop. I always wanted closure of the Kelvin loop. Um, am I going to get it? Ah, that's what I hope. I, I want the, well, I want the Kelvin no. timeline to come right back in line with the prime timeline. That's what I want. I want it to be a closed loop, and I hope that I'm not the only one that wants that. Uh, I just feel like that would just kind of wrap it up and put a nice, nice little bow on it, don't you think? <laughs> well, Alex Kurtzman said in, an, in a recent interview that they want to bring their movies and their TV shows all in line together like the Marvel Universe instead of having individual movies that really don't, other than the name, have anything to do with what you're seeing on TV. They want a giant unified universe. So this movie would have to somehow do that. So it'd be interesting to see what direction they go in. So anyways, guys, uh, we're going to talk, talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, The Emissary, which means I have a clip to play before we dive right in. This is the DS9 Emissary promo clip. Coming this January 1993. Brace yourself for the next thrilling chapter in the Star Trek legacy. You will disarm your weapons. If you attempt to intervene, we will destroy you. century, the era of the next generation. Welcome to Bajor. It's been a long time, Captain. We met before. Yes, sir. We met in battle. The place, Deep Space Nine, a desolate alien space station light years away from Federation assistance on the farthest edge of a new frontier. Yes. I'm Benjamin Sisko. I suppose you want the office. Well, actually, I thought I'd say hello first, and then take the office. Hello. The mission to maintain order against the constant threat of hostile alien powers. I'm told the Cardassians decided to have some fun the day they left. We're virtually defenseless. I discussed this with Major Kira. I don't believe the Federation has any business being here. The Federation is only here to help. help us. Yes, I know. Cardassians said the same thing 60 years ago. So why can't we live on the planet instead of small space station? The station is in orbit of Beijing. It'll be just like shore duty. Led by Commander Benjamin Sisko, a specially selected crew of Starfleet officers joins forces with a dynamic mix of highly skilled aliens, greedy fortune hunters, and diverse cultures to protect this strategic outpost. I will do the job I've been ordered to do to the best of my ability, sir. Brian to office. Security to the promenade on the double. Time to be a hero. Yes. You will disperse immediately. Deep Space Nine, where an infinite number of alien explorers, Federation personnel, and ruthless criminal factions all converge at the crossroads of the universe for business and numerous exotic pleasures. If you don't take that hand off my hip, you'll never be able to raise a glass with it again. Oh, I love a woman in a uniform. 
This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Deep Space Nine, a dark, mysterious world on a threshold of new discovery. It is quite simply, Commander, the journey you have always been destined to take. Sensors are not functioning. We've lost all contact with the space station. What the hell is happening out there? I don't know. Deep Space Nine, a war-torn region battling for survival. Its entire future in jeopardy. We demand the unconditional surrender of this station. Or we will open fire. Red alert. Shields up. Shields down to 27%. Damage report. Direct hit level 14. I got wounded people down here. Have you seen that doctor of yours anywhere? I'm on my way. Battle stations. Imagine a universe of new adventures where none have gone before. Imagine Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So the Emissary first aired on January 4th, 1993. It received a Nelson's rating of 18.8%, placing it first in its time slot and becoming the highest rated episode of the season. According to Variety, Emissary was the highest rated syndicated series premiere in history at the time of its broadcast. It achieved the top spots in the number of television markets on its debut. In 1993, Emissary was nominated for an Emmy Award for Best Art Direction for a Series, it also received Emmy nominations for Best Sound Editing and Sound Mixing. In 2015, Geek.com recommended this episode as essential watching for the abbreviated Star Trek Deep Space Nine binge-watching guide, along with past prologue, vortex, battle lines, duet, and in the hands of the prophets from Season 1. Following the success of Star Trek The Next Generation, Paramount Pictures commissioned a new series, set in the Star Trek fictional universe and creating Deep Space Nine. Berman and Pillar drew upon plot elements introduced in the TNG, naming the conflict between two alien races, the Cardassians and the Bajorans. Deep Space Nine was the first Star Trek series to be created without the direct involvement of franchise creator Gene Roddenberry. The first set on a space station rather than a traveling starship, and the first to have a person of color, Commander Sisko, uh, as its central character. DS9 was the first television series and Star Trek franchise to use computer-generated imagery, CGI, for exterior space shots. Although a few other television Babylon 5 were using CGI exclusively to avoid the high expense of model photography, the Star Trek franchise continued to use primary physical models for exterior space shots because producers decided models provided more realism. The show debuted in January of 1993, with the double episode, The Emissary, halfway through the sixth season of TNG. This is the first time that two Star Trek franchise series aired concurrently, which would continue until DS9 ended in 1999, except for late 1994, when Next Generation ended and DS9 was alone on the air. But in the next year, Star Trek Voyager aired on the then-new UPN network, so that once again meant two Star Trek franchise airing simultaneously. And Eric, what did our fans Think about the emissary. Well, top fan Teresa Victor said, rewatching it again, I loved it. A strong nine. 
Uh, top fan Thomas Patrick said uh, a six. Skylar Corson said, I give it an eight. While it was a strong entry and showed a new side of Star Trek, the pilot concentrated too hard on a few characters and did little, even minimal, character development on others. For example, O'Brien is suddenly a tech wizard, Bashir is a creepy entitled little boy, and Quark is suggesting that every predatory legend of the Ferengi is true, both cash and diet-wise. Plus, if the Federation had done away with any financial concerns, why did the crew slip so easily into cash credit system with the Bajorans? And the one bit that really kind of stuck in my craw, was it Bajorans or Bajora? Still great show, and I love re-watching it. Uh, also, top fan Matt Delaplane said a 10. Great start to a great series. And top fan Alan Ballou said a 9.9. .9. And uh, our average fan score this week for Emissary was a pretty solid 8.6. So uh, wondering where you all come in on that. Uh, well, let's discuss it, and then we'll kind of get to our, our scores. Well, uh, Eric, uh, Deep Space Nine is your favorite series, so why don't you start us off? Well, Deep Space Nine is my favorite series for many, many reasons, although Jean-Luc Picard is still my guy. He's still my captain. But I will tell you that I just think Emissary, for me, is the strongest of all the Star Trek opening episodes. And I think that it's for a lot of different reasons. I'm going to try not to take them all so that <laughs> Jim and Charles have something uh, left to talk about, but um, I'll hit some of my highlights. So first of all, I love where it starts. I love that it starts with the Battle of Wolf 359. And, um, you know, we're often talking about how in Star Trek they actually don't cover things like what are the consequences of a particular action. Um, you know, we hear a little bit about Wolf 359 in the rest of TNG and kind of how it affected the Federation and that sort of stuff. But at the beginning of DS9, we get a very direct correlation between Picard as Locutus, as the attacker at Wolf 359, and the fallout that that has um, for Benjamin Sisko and actually the death of his wife, Jennifer Sisko. We actually start the series with the death of this man's wife and the saving of his kid. Um, so just a very powerful position from which to start this series, and it sort of gives you a reason that Ben Sisko comes into the series with a big old chip on his shoulder. Um, there's, a, there's a great scene towards the beginning of Emissary where, uh, you know, they bring in Picard and the Enterprise, of course, because that's sort of the handing of the torch, I'll say, midway through season six, uh, season seven being the closing season of TNG. You know, here's Picard saying, okay, Sisko, the Star Trek torch is yours. Uh, run with it. And I love that scene with them. I love the fact that Benjamin is really mad at Picard for being Locutus, and Picard feels pretty uncomfortable about it. Um, and I think that's okay. I think it shows us a very human side to Cisco, And I think that that human side of his kind of continues with his relationship with Jake, which is one of my favorite parts of DS9 through the whole series. Very clear in this opening uh, episode why that is, because he saves Jake. Right? He saves him from the ship, about to have a warp core breach. He's unable to save his wife. So a strong bond is formed. Um, 
when they actually get to DS9, my favorite parts really in this episode are that they start at the very bottom. You know, we've got O'Brien coming on board. The Cardassians have trashed the station. Everything's broken. Uh, and Cisco actually doesn't even want to be there. He's, he's already trying to, to get a transfer out of there. Jake kind of thinks it sucks, you know, and yet they are Starfleet. They've got to buckle down. They've got to get the work done. And then, of course, a great adventure sort of opens up with the discovery of the wormhole and, and all our little side plots that we get in, in Emissary. But just the very, very beginning and kind of the setup for the whole show and the way that they present Cisco right away as this person who is not going to be a Picard type. He's not going to be your, um, your wise quasi-grandfather who always gives the best advice, you know. This is going to be a captain who um, does have that chip on his shoulder, leads with emotion, and yet has his Starfleet ideals that he holds very, very close and sort of guide him throughout the entire series. Um, so, yeah, uh, just my favorite setup. I mean, I could go on and on. I love the, the Quark setup. is great how he, Cisco pulls him in because he has to be the – he realizes that the station needs a heart, and that Quark is going to be that heart of the station. Of course, he becomes that. Uh, his interactions with Dax – are amazing and kind of their old friendship reunited. Um, and, and I love Kai Opaka in this one too. You sort of get the, uh, oh, that'll be my final point, I guess, is that I, I really love the, the fact that Emissary takes us on a Star Trek journey for a series that we previously have only kind of gotten into for a single episode. And that is kind of a spiritual journey. You know, this idea of, uh, of Cisco as the emissary, as the person who will be able to um, form a relationship between these very interesting and, and kind of uh, mysterious trans-dimensional beings in the wormhole and human beings and Bajor and the Cardassians. It's a very complex story. There's a lot of politics involved and a lot of like posturing that goes on. So, so many reasons. I love DS9. So many reasons I think this is the absolute best uh, opener to any Star Trek series ever. But I don't want to talk forever. So, guys, for God's sake, somebody take this microphone from me and start talking about well, your opinions. <laughs> I'm going to jump in here because we only have a few minutes until break, and I don't want to cut no! Charles off. So I uh, will Sorry. keep my comments relatively, relatively short, like less than two minutes, and then we'll take a break and come back to Charles. I really like Deep Space Nine. I I just want to say that I really like Deep Space Nine because it's the first Star Trek show that gives us the viewpoint of the them of the show. It's not all Starfleet people. We have a lot of non-Starfleet people that we get to meet. Odo is an awesome character. Quark, I think, is incredible. Nog, Rom, um, the Grand Nagus, Moogie. There are so many great characters um, on Deep Space Nine that are not Starfleet and are not Federation. Garrick, Gal Dukat. Uh, I mean, it goes on and on and on, which Eric touched on briefly. And I think that that's one of the strengths of the show, is that it shows us a world of Star Trek that's not from the point of being on a starship, which I think is great, actually. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I liked you know, some of the people, uh, one of the fans was talking about money, but, but, you know, this isn't, you got to remember, they're not in Federation space. Bajor is not a member of the Federation. So, you know, 
we don't know. They're not part of this idealistic uh, world where there's no hunger and there's no greed and there's no starvation. That's not what's going on on Bajor. So, you know, this is a different world, and we experience it through a different set of eyes. And anytime Star Trek can open our eyes to something different, I'm all for it. And Deep Space Nine is definitely the most different Star Trek that we've ever seen to date. And I love it. It's one of my, you know, I love all the different Star Treks for different reasons, but I really like Deep Space Nine. I like the way the station looked. I liked everything about it, particularly the Ferengi. I love the Ferengi. I think Quark is great. And watching Nog, the character of Nog, you know, go from this little teenage kid that was robbing jewels and things like that to, to being the first Ferengi in Starfleet is just absolutely awesome. Watching Jake grow up on the station is, is really cool, too. So there's, a, there's so much there. Um, you know, O'Brien having a family um, that makes it worthwhile. So anyways, uh, I spent my two minutes. <laughs> we have to take a quick commercial break. And uh, when we come back, though, we're going to hear what Charles has to say about uh, Deep Space Nine, the emissary. But first, I'm going to play for you guys the uh, teaser trailer for Discovery Season 4, and when we come back, more Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We are not in this alone. None of us are. We're all living in uncertainty. Even for a crew as familiar with it as this one. The stress is taking its toll. But we are not in this alone. None of us are. Five light years across. That's the size of the gravitational anomaly. Where is it headed next? It could go anywhere. We may not have any kind of warning at all. Federation, non-Federation. This anomaly threatens us equally. Whatever it is, we'll figure it out together. Indeed, we are more than allies. Captain Burnham, make no mistake. You are in charge. She has faith in me. We are facing something we don't understand. Something that could tear us all apart. But there's only one way to confront the unknown. Together. back and we're talking about star trek deep space nine the emissary and uh, charles what are your final thoughts on the emissary okay well let's start off with the fact that we get as you said we get to meet a young jake in fact i love how he's fishing and we find out a, a holodeck and they leave the holodeck and you look out in the screen, and there's DS9. Beautiful model. It's like, I don't think we'd get the same effect back then to see CGI, but to see that model out there. And this is huge. And then we started getting our cast of characters. And some of them I think are interesting is how we get to meet Odo for the first time. We get to meet Odo in the uh, promenade. 
the uh, Nog on there. He's with somebody in this stealing objects from the promenade. And they get caught. And, the, and his partner throws his big axe, heavy axe or sledgehammer, towards Odo. And it passes right through Odo. And you immediately he's like, whoa, how did Odo, who is, who is Odo and how could he do that? And then Cork comes out and it's like, oh, he's my brother's son. We'll leave, get you out of his hair. So looks like, nah, we're putting him in jail. We're putting him, we're putting him in the hold. And we're like, okay, why are you putting the kid in the hold? To find out, oh, let's make a leeway to sit there and force Cork to stay. And you think, oh, Cork's not going to stay. And all of a sudden, you hear Dabo games going on. You found all this all this activity going on in the bar, and it's like, oh, so Quark Shane. We also get to see uh, Odo shape change into an object to go away from a ship, on board a ship. We get to see a lot of his powers. We get to see the... Uh, Gods of Bajor. And we get to find, it's like, okay, well, where's this temple? And all of a sudden they find this temple. It's an entry to a wormhole. And this battle that Cisco has to go through to discuss with him to realize that, well, we live linear. And they're not and the prophets are not used to people being linear. Everything happens all at once for them. There's not a pace that happens. And yet, he brings in one of one of their they one of fun activities. Is he brings in baseball? And we says, well, okay, how about we put it this way? We're playing a game of baseball. Every action is one pitch. What's going to happen after every pitch? And they realize, oh, you don't know what's going to happen after each. And he's like, no. It's a surprise of what's going to happen. So it's interesting to look at the perspective of how humanity looks at life and the prophecies look at life. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how we get the prophecies speak through people of the present and past of Cisco's life. And it's really interesting to see how that how they communicate with him. We also get a great introduction to the Cardassian. And they come up and say, well, where would our ship go? Oh, we're going to sit there and fight you for it. And we get to see the miracle. It's like we always talk about Miles and how much a miracle worker he is. Well, he's Shows a bit what kind of miracle worker he is. He's actually able, with little help, to pick up and move that station to a new location. He's able to defend the location for a short time. Oh, fire six photons at them. Man, he only got six photons. This isn't going to be a battle fought. 
with Photon. But to see the battle they put together in it, we get some great action in that in that battle scene. And we really get an interesting point of view. We get to meet Julian and he wants to be a country doctor. He didn't he doesn't want to sit there and work at a hospital. He wants to get out and see civilization. Which Kira <laughs> kinda of gets a little offended by. Such a romantic. People. But I love the comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, where's that country doctor of ours? So, Charles, overall, what would you give this as a score? Would you agree with our fans? I agree with our fans. That's 8.8. 8.8. What do you think, Eric? Uh, well, I have to put this up really high, guys. Uh, this has all the Star Trek ideals and all the cool stuff and not a lot of the bad stuff. So I'm going to give this one a 9.6. Yeah, and I think, I, I think I'm going to go around an 8, I think. 8.2 maybe. Right around the fan, which is pretty cool. So listen, we're going to talk about the Deep Space Nine finale, what you leave behind, which means we have to have a clip. Beyond the farthest star, a war rages on. Prepare to engage the enemy. At the edge of the final frontier, it will be a glorious battle. The fate of humanity is in doubt. Millions of people are dying. One man's destiny awaits. Promise that you'll come home to us. One last battle has begun. What do you say we end this war? The end of a legend is upon us. A television event for now and forever. Witness the two-hour series finale. Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the final chapter. Behind was the 175th and 176th episode, um, the 25th and 26th episode of season seven of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. The episode was written by showrunner Iron Steve Burr and Hans Beimler and directed by Alan Croker. What You Leave Behind was the first shown on June 2nd in 1999 in broadcast syndication and received a Nielsen's rating of 5.4% on its first broadcast. It is the highest-rated episode of the entire season. Um, the finale sees the end of the long-running plot arc of the Dominion War and the fulfilling of protagonist Benjamin Sisko's destiny as the emissary of the Prophet. The episode was mainly well-received, with most critics considering it a satisfying end to the series, though the final confrontation between Sisko and his enemy, Gul Dukat, was criticized. The final day of filming took place at Vic's Lounge. In this episode, during the party, many of the background hologram characters are actually production staff and recurring cast members without their makeup and prosthetics. This is also one of the two Star Trek series finales in which Jeffrey Combs, Michael Dorn, and Cole Meany all appear. Combs later appeared in the Star Trek Enterprise series finale, These Are the Voyages, as Shran and Dorn and Meany had already appeared in Star Trek The Next Generation series finale, All Good Things, 
as Worf and O'Brien, respectively. Near the end of the episode, a montage is shown of the ensemble cast with footage from the previous Deep Space Nine episodes. The music cues used to O'Brien's montage are from the Irish song, The Minstrel Boy, which was previously featured in the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, The Wounded. There are no clips featuring Jadzia Dax because Terry Farrell and her manager reportedly refused the routine process of granting permission for her appearance in the clips to the great disappointment of the staff. Based on user ratings, what you leave behind holds a 9.2 out of 10 and a 9.0 out of 10 on tv.guide.com and 8.7 out of 10 on IMBD. The episode won the 2000 Best Television Sci-Fi Genre Award in a poll conducted on the official Star Trek website to determine the episode Star Trek Deep Space Nine Trials and Tribulations won out as the best overall episode. And Charles, which, by the way, was a great episode. Charles, what did our fans think about this episode? Okay. Well, top fan, Pierce Cummings gave it a 10. Top fan, Camellia, Skyborg, Francisken. It would have been a 10 if Janzia had still been around. She is my favorite Star Trek character, and I really hated to see her die. So still a great episode, so a 9. Jason D. Lewis, 10, always 10. Stephen E. White, it wasn't all good things, but at least it wasn't via the Voyager. And gave it a 7. Philip L. gave it a 10. Giving it a fan score overall of a nine point two. Well, I want to start out on this one here and say that as much as I love Deep Space Nine, I think one of the biggest flaws of the season was that the Dominion War arc went on too long. I believe it was three full seasons of of nothing but the Dominion War, and I thought that was too long, and I felt that the series finale got hijacked by the Dominion War because it made it seem like Deep Space Nine was about nothing but the Dominion War. And I feel that they could have wrapped up the Dominion War previously and then had an episode that wrapped up Deep Space Nine. I felt that that the Dominion War thing, as great as it was, and as much as I love Martok, which I do, um, I just felt that the Dominion War uh, subplot hijacked the series finale uh, miserably hijacked it and turned Deep Space Nine into the Deep Space Nine, the Dominion War. And they really could have done better. Uh, that being said, though, I did enjoy where um, Cisco ends up uh, battling with um, with Gul Dukat, representing the Pa Rates. Um, great, great battle there. And uh, how he ends up at the end, uh, I don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't seen it. I'm I'm sure you have, but yeah, I, I thought the end of of that particular storyline was great, and I liked the way the episode ended overall with the basic concept of the more things change, the more they stay the same. And uh, Cisco leaves his baseball behind on the desk. That's a little precursor, little Easter egg that uh, he may be physically gone, but he'll be back someday. And I, I I just watched the episode, and there is a line. I don't remember it off the top of my head. 
but there was a line where he tells Cassidy Yates that he'll be back, but he's not sure when. And because he's gone into the uh, with the prophets, as Charles said earlier, the prophets are not linear, which means when he says he doesn't know when, he literally means he doesn't know when. It could be yesterday. It could be next month. It could be right now because time has no relevance to him when he's with the prophets, kind of like the nexus in Star Trek Generations. So he could come back before he left, per se. So I really I enjoyed it. But um, as I said, not as much as our fans did. I thought the battle sequences were great, but Star Trek, for me, was never really about starship battle to begin with. So, um, you know, again, I, I wouldn't give this as high a praise as the fans did. I would probably put this right around an eight, eight point two, maybe the same as the as the premiere episode. Charles, why don't you go next? Well, as we talked a little bit in our cross talk, I agree. I think the Dominion War did go a little long, but I think this this episode was too caught up in the Dominion War. And is kind of looking at it and seeing how they end the Dominion War kind of seems rather easy. Odo kind of jumps in and saves the day. And it's like I was watching the episode and it's like, okay, it's over. And it's like, that's all you had to do? Okay, that seems a little anticlimactic. As we build up this big war, we've got all of the rebels trying to go in there to disrupt what's going on. Oh, they have a big laugh off. Okay, we can't go through that door. We can't get we can't get in the fortress. It's locked up tight. That the door is made of this special material. Explosives won't work. Okay, well we'll we'll let the enemies come in, open the door to kick somebody out. But oh, gee, perfect way of letting them in. It just kind of wrapped wrapped up a little odd. And then how Cisco meets the car race and comes to an end. It's like okay, there he goes. It's like okay, that kind of cut it short. And really. I know it tells an ending, but this last time I watched it, this wasn't a satisfying ending. I know they tied up a lot of loose ends, which this episode does do a great job, but there are some things you just kind of wonder. You're kind of sad that O'Brien's moving to Earth to, to keep at Starfleet, and he's leaving, leaving his friend there. And poor Worf still hasn't quite tied connections with leaving Jadzia. And yet he's like, oh, well, why don't we send you over to Klingon Empire? Okay. It's like, okay, that was just kind of an easy tie up there. So it's a fun episode, but I think they kind of left a lot of loose ends tied up rather weakly. So I think about an eight on this good episode, but I wish they'd ended it differently. 
sure that you're and there. Eric, you get to bring up the caboose and wrap a knot around this whole thing and tie it up nice and neat. Yeah, well, uh, I think there's some really good things about this episode, but then there are some things that I was fairly disappointed with. Um, I will say that I will give the number one performance, I think, of the episode to Jeffrey Combs as Wayne. Um, the way that he looks at the founder as the founder is kind of uh, disintegrating throughout the episode uh, with such reverence, um, you know, and, and confusion, like realizing that his God is dying before his eyes. Um, I just think he does a phenomenal, I mean, he always did a great job with Wei Yun, but in this episode in particular, I think he's particularly strong um, just because of what's going on in the background. And he's, he's kind of following along and, and he emotes that with his, um, you know, with his facial expressions and the way he delivers lines and everything. So uh, props to Jeffrey Combs. I also will say that I think Kai Wen is perhaps one of the best Star Trek villains of all time. Um, she, uh, for Harry Potter fans, uh, I would equate her with like a Dolores Umbridge. She's, she's nice to the point of being ridiculously evil. Uh, <laughs> and I hated her throughout the whole series. And that to me tells me that she is a very successful villain. <laughs> um, I don't love where her story goes in this one, and I'll talk about that at the very end, but uh, Kai Wen is just, in general, one of my favorite villains of all time. I will say that I think Goldemar's character arc is one of the best character arcs in all of Star Trek. Uh, I love that he starts out not at all on the side of, quote, the good guys, uh, and that he ends up very solidly there for very good reasons. Um, Damar is just... I. I don't know. When it comes to Cardassians, I know everybody talks about uh, about the other guy, Dukat, but uh, Damar is, is probably my favorite. I do like how the series sums up uh, Odo and the Founder's story with him kind of rejoining uh, the Great Link and stuff. I, I do like that part of it. And I'm actually okay with Cisco sort of disappearing into the wormhole <laughs> at the end of it all. But Jim, I got to disagree. I, the whole like Pa Wraith, Ducat, Cisco, Kai Wen thing is where this whole thing fell apart for me. I liked almost every single other storyline except that one and this one. So um, big disappointment for me to see where Ducat ends up given how important he was throughout the entire series, given that he was introduced in Emissary. Uh, I just don't like where his character goes. He doesn't have a good redemption arc, you know? He's not Damar has this amazing redemption arc that is the type of story that you want out of Star Trek. And I don't know, Dukat's just a terrible tragedy. That His story doesn't go anywhere, and he deserved better, I think. Um, and Odo and Kira, love where they end up. Uh, and Garrick and Bashir, I really like their relationship throughout this uh, episode. So, uh, you know, overall, I think probably because I love DS9, so much, I, I gave this a little bit of a lower score, so I ended up giving it a 7.7, 7, uh, a little bit below where our fans scored it, uh, just because uh, I didn't like parts of the story and the way that they were summed up, but I've been pretty clear on which ones I did like. Well, I, I thought, I really, one of the things, I I don't think it was in this episode, but the, but the last couple, they are kind of the, the, the Dominion War thing just kind of melded 
everything all kind of together, and it's hard to separate the episodes because it was so dominated by the Dominion War. But but I'm going to mention well, it anyway. Well, it's true, Jim, but, you know, here's what I'll Nine. say. Here's what I'll say. Remember that Emissary starts with the discovery of the wormhole, right? And we didn't really talk about this during the last episode, but remember the discovery of a new resource Kira recognizes right away in Emissary how important this is. In fact, she, she goes to O'Brien and she's like, dude, we have to move this entire station as quickly as you possibly can to get there before the Dominion does. And I actually like the way that this episode kind of sums up that whole plot arc because the Dominion War dragged on for a little bit, but the entire Dominion War was about access to this wormhole and about this group of people who were trying to come through the wormhole and the importance of this as a resource. So to me, the wormhole is the the bedrock of the DS9 series, and the fact that the Dominion War dragged on, well, well, that's because it's war, man. The war sucks, and there was a lot of really cool stories in there. But I don't know. That's my take on it. That's why I didn't bother. There was, that there was. And that, the Dominion War and made it like four seasons. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean that's what it is. What it is. But my, what I was going to say was, I, I thought that because the Dominion War just dragged on so much, the episode to episode it's hard to distinguish this this particular uh point that i really liked might not have been in this episode it might have been the episode before this but the episode where um galron is going to send martok with his vorchas to go in and soften up their defenses and Worf is like no the klingon ships are the only ships that we have and he kills galron making martok the new uh, Chancellor, and I'm like, that's the second time that Worf actually did that. You know, he killed Duras, making Gowron the Chancellor, killed Gowron, making Martok the Chancellor. I thought that was a pretty cool symmetry, and I liked that scene. Gowron deserved it. He was being a dink. But at any rate, <laughs> there's one thing There's one thing that everybody neglected to mention, and that's probably one of the most tragic de- uh, deaths in Deep Space Nine, one of the most yeah. beautifully acted, well-done death scenes in Deep Space Nine ever filmed, and that was Garrick's mother, Mila, when they killed her and threw her down the stairs and uh, then threw a bomb down there and blow everybody up. And, of course, that was none other than the awesome Leslie Hoffman. And we talked about that particular scene last week, on, on stunt treks, you guys can check that out. And also the scene that was filmed at Vix with all the people from behind the scenes that were there. And uh, Leslie shared some stories about that. So you guys can go and check that out as well. So that wraps up our show, believe it or not, for this week. Where does the time go, guys? It just flies right by. Wow. It does. <laughs> it's so much fun. It just flies right by. But don't worry, because we're going to be back next week, same bat time. Same bat channel. And we have a great show planned for you guys next week. The one and only Victoria Fox is going to be with us, and she's going to be talking about directing Star Trek, the Axonar, um, I don't know what they call it, independent Axonar film um, interlude. And um, that's the link is that posted on our Facebook page. So you guys can go and check that out. Um, as you know, Victoria is involved with the Avalon universe, and we've talked to her in great length about the different films that they've done, the different storylines they have going on. But this is a different one for them because this is the Axonar 
storyline. So we're going to talk a lot about that next week. So if you guys are interested in Axanar, uh, you guys definitely want to tune in next week and have your questions ready for Victoria Fox because she's awesome and she'd love to hear from you guys. That'll be next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Uh, you can tune in on Sunday night to Stunt Tracks with myself and the Leslie Hoffman. Uh, that'll be our last show for a while because I'm opening camp, as I said at the top of the show, next week, snow permitting. And so I won't be home on Sundays anymore. So uh, the show is probably going to go on a high hiatus for a little while until we're back from camp. Um, I'll let you guys know more details about that on Sunday when I flesh it all out with Leslie. And, yeah, head over to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond, and uh, make sure that you give us a like and give us a follow so you never miss an update or never miss a show. And, uh, yeah, so with that, that wraps up our, our show. I can't believe it. Another, another show has come and gone. So I just want to say thank you so much to uh, my awesome Trek experts and to each and every one of you guys, by the way. We couldn't do the show without you guys, and we really appreciate all your support, both on our podcast and on our Facebook page. So thank you so much for being out there for us. We would never think of doing it without you. So also, one more time, congratulations to GM Chris on his engagement. We're very, very happy for you, GM Chris. And um, hopefully this COVID thing ends really soon, and you can come back and join us on the air. We'd love to have you back. So Thank you so much, to Eric, for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Eric, we couldn't do the show without you. Thank you for joining us. You bet. A blast as always, guys. Thanks. And, uh, of course, thank you so much to Charles. We, we couldn't definitely couldn't do the show without Charles. He's been my right-hand man for, oh, a long, long, long time now. So thank you so much for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight, Charles. Oh, thank you, Jim. It's always fun talking, Trek. It is, and it flies flies by so fast, doesn't it? Like a snowflake in the wind, which I'm looking at out my window right now. (laughs) Anyways, and of course, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. Thank you so, so much for hanging out with us tonight. We'll see you guys all next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Everybody, please be good to each other and stay safe. Hailing frequencies are Closed. Good night, everybody. Live long and prosper. Can we go already? Yes, fine. Engage. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.